0: welcome to what's on tap gary monarosa here with tara Norton. john cashew is away and we are joined today by a very very special guest uh, a person that i've admired for gosh for 20 plus years uh, a friend crafting tremendous beer bill kovaleski from pennsylvania's own victory brewing bill thanks for joining us so much Gary, I'm very, very
1: happy to be here, and that was a, a beautiful introduction. Yes, you and I do go back a ways. We've we seen most some things.
0: certainly do, and I'm happy to say that you know you, you know Bill and you know Ron, his partner, but the real brain of the outfit is here in the <laughs> studio
2: with us. Ron's not listening, and he's is rolling he? around
0: <laughs> on the floor. Oh. <laughs> That is correct. And that is Ollie the dog.
1: Yes, Ollie, this, my seven-year-old Westie is with us today because the thought of leaving him at home just didn't sit well with me. You
0: are a good doggy dad, Bill. <laughs> you most certainly are. You
2: could have named him Westie, actually.
0: I could have so named the, him Westy. a little beer, yeah. beer yeah. nod. Yeah.
2: But you didn't, so nah. that's
0: okay. There were a lot of things you could have needed. He's a beautiful, dude, well-mannered, seems to love people a lot, too. Yes, he's very social, and that's part of the reason that he belongs here. Again, mm-hmm. it would have been a day alone at home, and that's no fun. Good for you. Good for you for caring about the guy. That's a wonderful thing. Well, the company's doing fantastic. The company is how old? 20? What, mid-90s? ninety six. 3 February 23? 1996, we opened. Okay, let's go back to the first year. How many barrels did you brew in year one? Can you remember? 1,725. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And can we fast forward 23 years? 140,000 barrels. Lord have mercy. And I'm going to say maybe 36, 37, 38 states or yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. And 35. Far, 35 states and foreign and four countries. foreign countries. What are
1: the countries? So we are in Sweden, the UK, Japan, and Korea. I've overlooked Germany. Sorry okay. to say. Well, that's been Jan, the news you're a doing lot. Great work over there, man. Sorry about that. <laughs>
0: Germany's been in the news a lot lately because of Stone. The situation uh, yes. the Stone going yeah, on. Yeah, let's so. keep the
1: world news happy today. Yeah.
0: Well, let, let me ask you about those those foreign uh, 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 countries and how sales are. How have you been accepted over there? What What are the reports that you get?
1: Sales are flat to declining in um, those countries, with the exception. Well, okay. So in UK and Sweden. Uh, there are certainly challenges as the craft brew revolution has involved more breweries getting into uh, each of those countries. Mm-hmm. Um, we are doing fine in Japan, though we declined last year. We're growing well in South Korea. Well, wow. And a lot of this uh-huh. is not necessarily for the sales. Um, it's to sort of give back to uh, the industry that supported us. Ron and I went to brewing school in Germany mm-hmm. in 1990, myself in 1993. We got the idea of opening a brewery in Germany on a trip in 1987 so you know America at that time was the butt of the jokes about beer and it really came on strong and I think that we collectively as American brewers have something we can export and inspire others so
0: what styles sell in these different locations I mean do you uh, let me just leave it to you what 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 sells there More or less the sensational
1: beers, right? So the sour monkeys and the very hopped beers like uh, Dirt Wolf. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially the consumers that are neglecting mainstream beers in their home countries are getting excited about big bold flavors. So the revolution looks a lot over there like it looked like in the United States as well.
2: And when you talk about flat or declining sales because mm-hmm. of more breweries entering, are you talking about craft breweries emerging within those countries or more U.S. craft breweries exporting to those countries a or of lack both. of interest now or, or what? It's a bit of
1: both, Tara, the but the, um, it's more the actual breweries in those countries that have been inspired by the consumer movement, the interest in new flavors. And that's really exciting, actually. I mean, you want to be part of an inspiration.
2: And um, so their palates kind of follow ours? You're saying that now the beers that are really popular here in the styles are the ones that are popular there for the most part?
1: Yes, with a caveat. Um, I believe that once consumers are exposed to new and exciting flavors, they, you know, they get excited about pursuing more flavors. Um, so it, that allows for the Sours and the Belgians and a whole range of flavors to have sway. but By and large, the amour of American beers are American hops. And once American hops start getting in the hands of foreign brewers, Mm -hmm. it really sort of negates some of the opportunities for American beers. By no means am I calling us a one-trick pony, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the character of our products collectively in craft beer are determined by American hop varietals. It almost sounds
0: as though the American template It kind of is a history for you in exposing people in other cultures, other countries, to your beers. I mean, you've seen the progression of the American craft beer drinker, right? what he or she likes, and it's almost as though they're following that that same template in some ways. I I would agree. Um, You know, when we wrote our business plan
1: in 1994, after having been abroad in Germany, Ron and I saw our opportunity as essentially making European beers uh, fresh for a local audience. Mm -hmm. Um, We saw our business model as essentially being the import killer. Well, of course it wasn't that. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, by essentially taking what we had learned in Europe and bringing it fresh to an audience, that allowed them um, a new view into what beer could be. Mm -hmm. And they gave us the latitude to continue to experiment once we satisfied them with those first few beers, um, you know, a Dortmunder, our Brandywine Valley Lager, an Oktoberfest Lager, our Victory Fest beer, and of course a sort of on-the-edge IPA in the Hop Devil Ale. Those were the three we opened with.
2: And um, yeah, I was just thinking about the fact that you started out having a lot of German styles, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially in the Philly region, Stouts, Sly Fox, and now that there's so much interest again in lagers, are you seeing more of an interest, uh, a renewed interest in some of those original products. Or um, What's that trend? Uh, I think we're seeing a
1: stable interest. Uh, the lines are getting blurred between what is craft and what is macro. So I believe that lager beers, maybe full flavored or maybe you know mildly flavored, they can be craft lagers that can exist in that middle space. So things like our homegrown, um, you know that at low ABV of 4.8% but with a whole lot of citra hops this is a very exciting development so we're seeing most interest in there um, things like prima pills they're kind of settled in their way people mm-hmm. know the beer very well and it uh, it has its place um, but we're not seeing a huge consumer swing towards lagers at this point
2: are you I mean you just got back from the craft brewers conference right. and was anybody talking Or have you given thought to what you think will be trending next? You know, now that the that sales have kind of stagnated, that's all we've been talking about for the past two years. And it hasn't occurred to me for a while Uh to ask, like, okay, well, what's coming next? Right. What do you think?
1: I I don't want to go on that soapbox because it's it's a very tall soapbox. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can be wrong in so many ways. Um, I feel that I just touched upon it, the middle ground, the place that exists between macro and micro, something that can be of high quality and integrity and flavored in a way that is not offensive and not over the top. I see a lot of interest from the consumer side of going there. Um, I think that, you know, brewers brew what's in their heart, but at the same time they have to brew for an audience. Otherwise it's home brewing, it's not professional. And I think that we are seeing breweries recognize that there are consumers in that middle ground that are worth entertaining, that are worth spending time with and entertaining them through uh, flavorful products. Fascinating to
0: hear you say that because, and I know you're not going to remember this, but it probably goes back at least 15 years ago. You and I were talking about something. At least I think it was you or maybe maybe been been Ron. And the point of that was, I'm certainly paraphrasing, but you said something to the effect of, we like to make beers, we like to produce beers that we personally like and trust that our customers will also buy into them. Is yeah. that valid, is that still valid?
1: It is still valid, Gary, um, because you know it's like, it's like going out for music and going to listen to a DJ that you really appreciate. Mm-hmm. You know That person is being the musical editor and they're taking you on a musical journey of the things that they feel are of the moment. And interesting to them so a brewmasters role really is to synthesize all the possibilities into an edited collection of delicious possibilities Mm -hmm. for the consumer to enjoy but as I just touched on earlier you know nothing happens in a vacuum we recognize that there is an audience we need to entertain and we need to pay attention to how they want to be entertained my very first day of brewing school in in Munich um, the professor said something very bombastic he said if our audience wants beer with foam on the bottom of the glass, then we must make beer with foam on the bottom of the glass. And
3: <laughs> I found
1: myself coming back to that statement for various reasons many times in life. And, you know, the, the chief one is that there is an audience you're, you're pleasing with this product. And the audience isn't, you know, isn't the person you wake up with in the morning. Mm. <laughs>
0: That's a profound statement, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm not, not that, <laughs> but they foam in the, I can relate to that. I mean, sure. that makes sense to me, absolutely. I do have to interject this, that What's On Tap is brought to you by Tropicana Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, and Sand Brewery in Woodbury, New Jersey, and our friends at Urban Village Brewery in Philadelphia. So thank you to all three of our sponsors Great group right of there. supporters. Yep. yep, we love them. Thanks,
2: we appreciate yeah. that. So um, does it matter who's making the beer? to the consumer uh, this, oh, wow. this year?
0: Um, I'm
1: afraid, Tara, that over time we're going to find that it doesn't. There have been a lot of studies, um, people who believe that they are ethical shoppers and will make their decisions based on purely the, uh, the integrity of a company. And then they're faced with other decisions, convenience, price, and it gets complex so I, again um, I've looked into research that shows that everybody says online and in, in a survey that no I'm only going to work with this company mm-hmm. because they have integrity and no I'm only going to do this when push comes to shove that's not always what happens and I feel that um, you know companies that have the most resources in terms of marketing really have the upper hand in terms of how they may be able to deceive consumers to believe that everything is equal. So. I don't mean to be a dark cloud. I have faith in consumers to do the research and find the things that are important to them. And I feel that um, because so many craft breweries, legitimate craft breweries, have retail exposure through their tap rooms, I believe that this is a a winnable battle that breweries of integrity can continue to educate. But um, it won't be an easy battle.
2: Are we alienating? I've recently gotten a, I won't call it a spat, but a discussion on Facebook um, about how there's this narrative that I'm hearing from all different sectors. um, So I don't personally think it's a conspiracy, but that ABI is trying to push out this conspiracy that um, beer infighting is causing craft beer sales to go down, that we're pushing the consumer away. Do you see any of that
1: Um,
2: or snobbery, like any of the negatives involved hmm. in craft beer? I guess
1: snobbery might be a negative factor, but I don't see craft beer infighting. I still see the camaraderie of our industry very strong. I mean, beer festivals continue to bring in an audience and all the brewers who work cooperatively. Brewers continue to work cooperatively. We see so many collaboration beers happening. So I think the industry is not isolated and fighting one another, it's fighting for the ideals we just spoke about, integrity, quality of product, and so forth. So I guess if I were the world's largest beer company, I would probably like to point the finger at the other guys and say it's their fault, Um, but that that doesn't sound accurate to me. Okay.
2: It's corn syrup,
1: then, isn't it? We are sitting (laughs) in South Jersey. We do not want to disparage corn.
0: (laughs) Why don't we talk about the beer that we're drinking right now, Bill? Oh,
1: right. So um, we have in our hands Cloud Walker, which is our hazy, juicy IPA. Mm -hmm. It weighs in at uh, 6.8% alcohol by volume. And... um, The way that we have utilized our whole flower hopping, which has been consistent since the start, and the way that we've utilized uh, certain really exciting varieties like mosaic and citra, by pushing them very late in the boil, we really minimize the bitterness, though it is an IPA. Okay. Uh-huh. And we Good. really push it towards being very juicy in its hop characteristics mm-hmm. from citrusy qualities. And then we accentuated that by adding some flaked oats and some wheat to give it that nice silken mouth feel. Um, you can see that it has got quite a haze. Um, not of milkshake quality. We mm-hmm. really weren't mm-hmm. looking for that type of mouth feel at all. But uh, this is a development that was um, a couple years in the making, we did many trials through our tap rooms um, before we had a name, and people were essentially helping us dial in the recipe, which is a great way to engage our audience through the tap rooms. And then finally, in um, October of last year, we came out with it on draft, and then in February of this year, we made the full push, so it's a year-round product at this point.
0: When we, when my class at Wilmington U toured Twin Lakes Brewing this past Tuesday, uh we it was very hands-on in the sense that they got to see and experience what barley is great and whole flower hops and they weren't used to that they were used to pellets sure so and i know i have some of the kids listening these shows but can you on a very elementary level explain the difference between whole flower hops why one would opt for them as opposed to pellets so if I may start with a caveat Um, we use whole flower hops for
1: specific reasons Mm -hmm. they suit our process and our, our vision of what the beer should be so I don't want you to think that anyone using pellets is a lesser brewer absolutely critical brewmasters decision to make at the onset Mm -hmm. so our use of whole flower hops i guess what i would point out the critical difference is that whole flower hops are less processed in order to make a hop pellet the whole leaf the cone that we utilize directly has been macerated so it's been chopped up mechanically and then it's been extruded it's been put into a hammer mill to form that 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 little pellet that it is. The argument there is that all of the good stuff now has been encapsulated and concentrated on the inside, and therefore the good stuff won't be exposed to oxidation, which would be the thing that could could Mm -hmm. affect the whole flower hop more. Our argument is, well, you just beat the crap out of the hop. Mm -hmm. It's already yielded some of its essential oils by going mm-hmm. through these mechanical processes and you know the heat stress of that. So we go back to the most natural form because we feel consistently it gives us the widest range of hop flavors and aromas because the, the oils of the hop have not been damaged. By that abusive process.
0: Do you have to, uh, in terms of securing your hops, do you have long term contracts, multi year contracts? We do, and that, that's
1: evolved over time. Um, mm-hmm. In 2007, uh, my business partner Ron took it upon himself to get very serious about getting us very serious about long term contracts. And those are important because really what you're doing also is you're feeding your uh, growers some consistency. They know that they can keep that specific vine in that's the ground good. and not pull it out to try something else. So. Contracts are important because the growers have to have that security and know what is going to sell for them. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, brewers um, embrace Mother Nature as a business partner, but farmers, that is, that's their life. Mm. I mean,
0: they, they have a tough time event. Mm.
2: I like that. That's Farmer uh, Brewers embrace yeah. Mother Nature. What did you say? As a business partner? As a business partner. partner. That's mm-hmm.
0: neat. Yeah. There's so many sound bites we could pull from this guy oh <laughs> i put him in as many stories as possible <laughs>
2: i think the first time i interviewed you and i hope you don't mind me saying this it was years ago and i'm pretty sure you cursed a couple times and i was like Taryn yes! i was the like, oh sort of you were, new beer like reporter okay. and i i was it was for like philly weekly one of the sort of edgy alt weeklies you know and i was like
3: He's the greatest interview <laughs>
2: ever. He said he dropped an S bomb or something. Oh, <laughs> I told everyone that for like a year. There goes the image <laughs> of Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well,
0: tarnished. One thing that I find him to be is very candid. Yeah. You notice that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you are. You're not pulling any punches on anything. You're laying it right out there. Oh, well, I, I appreciate your questions. I... And I think that people dial in to, to hear real stuff, right? Well, I sure appreciate it. We hope so. certainly do. Yeah, exactly. Kids, if I, I, I throw questions at you that my students want me to ask. Yeah, I told yeah them keep about going. You. Did you get a good answer on the hops? Yeah, that's okay. excellent. <laughs> excellent. Uh, and they talk about another issue that comes up is going back to the big national breweries, yep. international breweries. Uh, they are now also buying into hops. Yes, and is that making it more? Is it making it more difficult for the smaller, much smaller than you, smaller breweries, to secure contracts it, and deals?
1: It has not yet, but I know that that mm-hmm. was a very distressing sort of theme that went around the internet when it was divulged that um, the world's largest brewers—well, were, well, actually, it was Corps that mm. had okay. secured uh, some hop fields. Anheuser-Busch InBev has always been involved in True. hop farming in in Idaho, at least I, I know so no that's not a significant change um as far as i'm concerned you know the growers are going to find a buyer regardless so if you really want to look at this as nefarious behavior essentially the brewers would have to buy the hops and then plow them back under the ground yet still Mm -hmm. paying for them Mm -hmm. so i don't see them pursuing that strategy
0: interesting okay okay
2: so you were among the first to try out this new ownership, partnership model that seems to be um, growing in popularity exponentially. Mm -hmm. You joined with Southern tier. um, And it just keeps happening. I think the latest is Ninkasi just sold part of it, part of itself off in order to buy more breweries. Right. So how's that? How does that work out? I know the models are different. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we might have to actually postpone this because do we have our caller?
0: Yeah, can we hold that?
2: Yeah, sorry about that. We'll come back to it.
0: The thing is, will you remember the question, Taryn? No,
2: I'm hoping Bill will.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We want to go to the phone lines because we have a person I've not seen, at least live in person, for the last few years. I see him on TV constantly. You were with him, what, about a year or so ago?
2: I don't think it was that long ago. God, I hope it wasn't that long. But yeah, we (laughs) lunch or dinner or something together. Right, exactly. I'm not even sure.
0: And this is Robert Irvine, (laughs) chef Robert Irvine. Hi, Robert
3: what's up what's hey, up how you doing my brother i'm busier than a one-armed paper <laughs> i can imagine
0: we were reminiscing about the old days working chris myers food shows and invariably you asking me to get you a bottle of lancaster beer you remember that
3: i do absolutely I do. that seems like it was yesterday not just <laughs> many years
0: ago. i know so many years ago but we want to thank you first of all for calling into us and we understand now uh, Restaurant Impossible. What's, what's going on with, with Restaurant Impossible right now?
3: Well, we just finished season 14. We're going to start season 15 uh, filming next week. But the show starts airing on the 20th of April at 9 p.m. That's a Saturday night. Beautiful. So uh, exciting times. Lots of things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so the show's just got bigger and bigger, and um, here we are again. So exciting times
0: that is wonderful good job for you and i Tara, you wanted to talk with robert about the spirits a little bit too didn't you
2: yeah well robert when you and i met it was uh for a lunch that the distillery that you've invested in was hosting and uh that's a local distillery here boardroom spirits um i think probably the first thing people wonder when they hear that you've invested in that is is why and you've got local connections right is that part of why you've decided to
3: well, not, no, not really. Um, invested, I own it. Yes. Um, oh. <laughs> <not> invested, <I laughs> Sorry. Own it. So, that's okay. Uh, why did I get into? Why did I get into spirits? Um, it's just like the round-robbing of food, right? So you have beer. You have. Uh, uh, so in, in this case, we have vodka, all natural vodka, um, Scotch, gin, uh, bourbon, and rum, and. Um, I just think it closes out what we do. We have food in retail. We have food in military. We have food in commissaries. We have coffee. We have, you know, so everything to do with food and beverage, uh, both in weight loss, healthy, and indulgence, we have our hands in. Uh, it's one thing that we, we're very proud of, that we own everything. We don't license anything. So, um, yeah, that's why I got into it, not only because it's an amazing product, that I want to knock uh, the Cheetos of the world off the shelf. And we will do that at some point because I believe the product is way, way superior. Um, Made out there in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, My partner and um, having a lot of fun doing it actually. We just got into Universal, Disney Cruise Line, Disney. So it's um, it's a fun, fun uh, project.
2: You guys are doing a bunch of innovation. Um, with distilling and um, different inputs, right? Can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, it's the largest uh, distillery in Pennsylvania. We've just spent an awful lot of money putting new tasting room, hotling room, the biggest still brought over from uh, Czech Republic. Um, we are distilling very cool stuff. So if, if you think about vodka and cranberry, so we have a French line that has ginger, vodka, uh, cranberry vodka, citrus vodka, but it's 13 pounds of cranberries per one bottle of, of uh, vodka. So it's all natural, it's all fresh, it's the only line with with a nutritional panel on it, hmm. which in the world that is, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're distilling beets, we're distilling carrots uh, for the kitchen, you know, kitchen vodkas, uh, beetroot, carrots, apples, pears. Uh, so it's kind of a uh, you know an interesting uh, as I said project before, but it, it's it's innovative in that nobody does a pear vodka, nobody does, it. well, they do now, but mm-hmm. uh, when we started, nobody does a beet vodka or a carrot vodka, um, and, they, and they do it really well.
0: It seems, you know, What's on Tap certainly is a focuses on craft beer, but in many ways, the spirits world is following right along. There are now craft spirits and innovative flavors, and you're obviously proving that.
3: Well, you know me. I love beer, so I know got, that. We haven't a, uh, we have got one of them yet. But, um, you know, we have, it, but if I find one that's worth it, I will definitely, you know, get involved. In it. But, uh, you know, the restaurant the restaurant in Vegas has a hundred different beers. Yeah, right. Um, Tell us
0: about that. That's a remarkable place. I,
3: I love. I love. Gary you know this so I'm kind of singing to the choir here but um, I'm a big beer drinker I love beers so when we got the opportunity to uh, uh, partner with Penn Gaming in Vegas uh, one of the things I wanted a pub because I grew up um, my dad drinking and stuff like that so the public house Robert public house in the Tropicana in Vegas is all about beer mm-hmm. you know we have we have beer dinners we have um, geez uh People, brewers, I should say, not distillers. Brewers brewing um, special uh, beers, so we can do these dinners for us. We highlight beers every month um, for dinners. We do uh, tasting. I mean, it's a pub. You come into you come into the public house. You're going to drink beer. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and have you been there yet, Gary? No, not, I I'm haven't. But there. if you
0: if you're offering to to uh, pay my way out there, I mean, that would work.
3: Of course you
0: would. Silence. <laughs> Dead silence,
3: right there, right, Robert. Whatever, whatever happened, whatever happened to yes, I'm going to fly out and uh, we'll have some fun, Robert.
2: So. Yeah, you're retired, Gary. Uh, right, Go I'm retired.
3: I got all the time
0: in the world right now, Robert. I also want all the money in the world. Oh, That's get like, out of no here.
3: Don't
0: kid you either. Oh, stop it! I'll have to see you for that, Robert.
3: I have to also I, I give, I give all mine away.
0: <laughs> I have True. to applaud you for what you're doing for our service people. Men and women, you have been so actively yeah, involved. Been. You've traveled overseas to visit these people. So congratulations I, on that.
3: Yeah, we do 150 days a year. I just came back. Italy, three days ago from Japan, Vegas. Japan to Vegas. those was with the Marines in Japan. Then to Germany, uh, Turkey, Qatar, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Italy. I we got back three days ago. Uh, so we're heavily involved in that. The USO. TAPS organizations, so it's uh, a big part of our life. And that's where I said we give most of our money away. Everything we do has a, a give-back component to it um, from all our companies, 11 companies. And uh, we're building homes and buying dogs and all this kind of thing for post-traumatic stress. So it's, it's a great uh, project.
0: And, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate that not always are those good deeds publicized as they should be. People love to look for dirt. On various people, you know, because that stuff sells. But look at the good that you're doing. And again, I really, really applaud you for that.
3: Well, I don't don't mind if people know about it because it's a passion of mine. I don't do it because it should be published or I want people to know. I do it because I love it. Um, Good for you. uh, Listen, that's the end of the day. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't like you that slings uh, mud at you because you're right. You know they're behind a computer screen. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's too much good. There's too much good going on in the world, and we should be spending good stuff instead of you know garbage.
0: Beautiful yeah. stuff. Website, Robert. You have a website we could uh, look at and check on your activities. Uh,
3: I do. I do. I think it's uh, Robert Irvine. Ooh, I know. It's Twitter's at Robert Irvine. Uh, Instagram is at Shep Urbine Uh, David, are you on the line? I can't remember Shep <laughs> <laughs> uh, David.
0: Uh, call for a lifeline
3: Shep <laughs> <Chef Urbine.
0: laughs> there you go There you go, all you have I to do even, is Google this guy I don't even even guy.
3: Know anymore <laughs> <laughs> Well, Boardroom,
2: I've got Boardroom Spirits Pulled up on my phone, and that's Boardroom Spirits.com
0: Boardroom Spirits.com is good, alright
3: Robert, thank you for your time this
0: afternoon Here on What's on Tap
3: Hey,
0: enjoy, guys. I hope you catch up one day. I hope so. All the best to you. Thank you so much again. We'll Thanks. chat with you. Thanks,
3: Robert. Okay. Right,
0: okay. Just, uh, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. That was great. <laughs> I've known this guy uh, Ray, way before we signed with Food Network. Like I said, mm-hmm. we used to do food shows together and uh, mm-hmm. watching him work an audience. And he would he would always sell out because, you know, he was a, a popular dad in Lank City. Yep. Had properties in AC, and he's done a remarkable job. And I remember when he signed with, I think it was Mark... Uh, the guy's name? Hamill? Hamill. Was it Mark Hamill, I think, he signed with. Right? Yeah. I don't watch. And got him over TV, to so Food Network.
2: I don't look at me. Uh huh. Yeah, go got ahead. Got <laughs> him over to Food Network and, <laughs> and
0: things kind of exploded from there. That's a great so, story. Yeah. Good um, gun.
2: Yeah, his his I'm calling everybody chief of staff too. lately, but his um main man <laughs> his, his right hand guy is a local. He lives in Philly. Uh-huh. Um so
0: he's here a lot. Well, he is, and like he said, he's you know, like he said, he's he's really all over the world. I guess he's spending much of his time though in Vegas when he's in the states. You know, I you don't really remember. Him, but, mm, but he does have ties, obviously, here to the to the Delaware Valley.
2: Yeah, for sure. And you know, mm-hmm. if we'd had more time, I wanted to ask him a little more about his um, carrot vodka, which yeah. is I bet that's delicious. And I'm looking at some um, recipes on the website, and they've got like nine-carat vodka <laughs> recipes for cocktails. It's pretty, pretty oh interesting. God. Very
1: innovative, what they're doing there. I've met Murat before. I've been to the facility, and I think that boardroom has got a unique angle on things, mm-hmm. and it's always good to see. You, know, um, you want to you bring new ideas when you put That's a right. shingle out over the door, right? Mm-hmm. You just don't want to do the same thing and steal from others. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you have to bring something new to the game. And again, that translates to the beer
0: world as well. Uh, it's a broad See, analogy is applicable, yes. The audience is restless. The beer audience is restless. I don't we know. made them that way,
1: Gary. I, I mean, guess. you promoted craft beer in its infancy. Oh, I Lord. made craft beer in its near infancy. And we've, you know, we've created this unsatiable desire for new
0: and exciting. And you know, it's our fault. Let's enjoy it. And does that mean that, you kind of addressed this earlier, but brand loyalty. I mean, it's still there. In other words... It's going to sound like I'm brown nose in the sky, and I apologize, but I do love Victory beer. I know when Victory puts out a beer, I'm going to try it because I'm probably going to like it. Right. But is brand loyalty what it once was? I mean, there's now 7,300 breweries. Granted, most of them don't distribute outside their backyard. But still, uh, people now are looking for the next new thing, and they're more willing to try other brands and flavors. Brand loyalty
1: is a bit of a white whale. I think that, Hmm. you know, uh, marketers, producers always chase it. Um, You can establish some of it, especially when you have direct retail, when you have tap rooms and such. But it's a bit of a myth. There's no way to hold a customer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I I had the great fortune of knowing uh, Joe Ortlieb, the brewmaster and owner of of Ortlieb's Brewery, for about a dozen years. And even when we first met, going back 16 years or so ago, he would... Talk, talk about brand loyalty and how hmm. difficult, and that was in the age of much, much
0: fewer breweries, exactly. right?
1: right? Right. So I think that everybody fixates on something that's almost impossible to attain. Mm. But that being said, um, you're looking at some new cans from our brewery. Did want to get into that? Yes, go ahead. Some and cheese. and the design is you know a departure from what you've been familiar with, uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's specifically because in order to try and approach brand loyalty. We interviewed uh, a bunch of consumers, hundreds, uh, starting of April of last year with a very methodical process uh, led by a marketing firm. And what we found was that the Victory brand wasn't nearly as well known as the sub brands. And I think that, hmm. you know, as the original brand architect of that, I'm to fault because I didn't want to come out in the market with just a line. Mm-hmm. I. Built a Hop Devil. I built a Golden Monkey, mm-hmm. things that would have evocative nuance to them internally and might attract people. So you know, from a broad spectrum of things, an IPA and and a triple. Just looking at those two, so mm. Victory had to cast a wide net yes. and bring people in with unique flavors, and then I don't think we invested enough in building what the Victory brand uh, mm. umbrella. Meant. And by working with consumers to learn the same exact thing, they told us that. It was very interesting being in focus groups and having someone say, Oh, I don't know Victory Brewing Company at all. And then the next person said, Yeah, but I really love their Golden Monkey. And then the first person goes, Oh, of course I love that beer. That's Uh, for Victory. uh, So we were hearing results like that. And we decided to um, consciously focus the design aesthetic of our brand in a manner that had more consistency to the look of the overall brand while still retaining a focal spot for the character of each individual mm-hmm. brand okay we have a second beer from victory and bill I'll let you address this one so we're going IPA heavy today but with new stuff um, no-brainer is on the table no-brainer is also hmm. 6.8% alcohol by volume like cloud Walker but quite different um, no-brainer if you want to look at the sort of pantheon of victory beers throughout history, it kind of represents a similar situation to the Hop Wallop Dirt Wolf Shift. Hop Wallop was a beer that was very much loved by our audience. And um, it represented for us everything good about a double IPA. But hops and their varietals, Evolved over time Mm -hmm. giving us more opportunities that weren't necessarily expressed in that beer And so we're trying to make room within our IPA portion of our portfolio for some new varieties of hops Uh, There's a real focus on the mandarina hop in this beer So if there's citrus notes that you pull out of it as a consumer, um, I would focus on in on that There's a Zeka hops in there as well and then there's some you know tried and true like centennial so i mean this is an ipa that's really sort of built off of many years of making flavorful whole flower hopped ipas but um, giving focus to some newer varieties of hops in order to create
0: new flavor that is difficult for me not only as a consumer but as someone that does the show too Keep on top of. There's so many different hop varieties out there. I don't know what they all do. I've got to confess. Terrible. <laughs> How about you on this? No,
2: that's true. I I often say that that's an area of expertise I could do better. Yeah, with. I, I, I mean, I feel the same way. I've heard about most of the varieties that people that are in like regular use, Absolutely. but I couldn't you know, tell you what they all.
0: It's know, like every express. day when I'm at a brewery and talking to someone who's in this industry, you know, they mention certain hops me in. What does that do? What is? Why did you use that as opposed to A, B, and C? Which I'm well, mostly C's. That's what you know that I'm more familiar with. So,
1: right. Well, you're so again? deeply immersed. Pardon the pun. In craft beer, you can. Understand, no, you can. I am IM immersed. You're right. You can understand what the hops do, but it, it's a little bit of wizardry and alchemy yeah. in brewers' hands. Um, yeah. You yeah. Know, because hops are only one component, and mm-hmm. fermentation is um, is the process. So, it's the synergy of how all these things are
0: conducted. Mm. Do you know like off the orchestra. top of your head, hopefully you will, the IBUs coming in on this? The IBUs on this guy? Oh, gosh, you caught me. OK. I, I didn't mean to do it. that,
1: but I was just curious. I don't know if I it's on the can. Tara's busy staring right. at we the We can look that off-hand. up, it's no big deal.
0: But no. I, I, I will
1: that. reference oh. that in a moment. I All should right. be able to. Well, in,
2: no, go you ahead. You got anything? Go ahead. Well, yeah. So on the can, I'm not seeing the IBUs, okay. but you talk about your proprietary hop dick technology. Mm-hmm. What's that? Mm
1: so let's get back to Gary's question, which <laughs> we might quickly. Um, no, no brainer. on the radio. <laughs> no, no brainer is 55 IBUs, okay. whereas right. the, the Cloud Walker that we're enjoying is also 55.
0: 55 But IB I think use. you could see how that was softer in its
1: approach. Absolutely.
0: No question. And there is a logic, because I approached you at the beginning of the show, prior to the show, and I said, of these two beers, which should we serve first? And there really is a progression. When I go into some brew pubs or breweries, whichever, and I order a flight, not always are they served in a good tasting order. Right. I've mm-hmm. seen cases where double IPAs were served prior to the wheat, and they say, oh, drink it from left to right here. Well, no, that doesn't work for goodness sakes, but yeah. you did have a progression to this, yeah, and it made I, sense. Yeah,
1: I, I can vouch for everyone who's out there producing and serving of craft beer. Not. Of there course There are not. mistakes made mm-hmm. at times. But back to Tara's question, the Hop Vic is the evolution of our hops infusion device in our brew house. So in the earliest days, 1996, Ron and I had basically fabricated a simple basket where our whole flower hops would be collected as the, wort was, the boiled wort was being pushed out of the, the kettle. Um, so it was essentially to capture the whole flower hops. Um, we often used it to put in some very late hopping, So we would really, like making a tea, only steep the things that we wanted out of the hops and get the most aroma and character out of there at the very last minute with hot wort. And then as we built successively larger brew houses, we found different ways to keep that same idea going in uh, from a more technological standpoint, heavier loads of hops that had to be loaded in and loaded out. So the Hopvik is sort of the natural evolution of that. It actually has a patent in Germany We work with engineers um, with a firm that we've worked with for a number of years. And um, the idea is that it has um, many different flow inputs and outputs so that we are essentially creating this vortex of um, flow of hop wort in order to, again, make a very short tea-like infusion situation with the hops. So it is a one of a kind. And um, I think it makes some nice
0: hot flavors. Would you agree? Mm. Yes. Absolutely. I have not had, <laughs> it's just a gods it's true. I've not had a Victory beer that I wouldn't go back to and drink again. And that's a lot of beers that I've had from Victory. Yeah. There's always Victory, Chris. We have a, a fridge dedicated in my basement strictly to beer, and there's always Victory stuff down there. Absolutely. In fact, in my book, I think I placed Prima Pills as one of the mythical beer in, in a mythical case of beer <laughs> include prima pills of course that was written what seven eight nine years ago and if I did it again I'd have probably 24 new beers but Victory would have to be included because the beers are fantastic I appreciate they that really really are mm. absolutely well you know as,
1: as brewers we set out to create flavors right um, but those flavors stimulate conversations and stimulate thoughts so in the end what we're doing
0: is creating memories so for you mm-hmm. to commit mm-hmm. that to paper that means a lot, thank oh, you. Thank you. And you know, you brought up your earlier question. I am sensitive to who owns the company, to who's mm-hmm. running the ship. Okay. You know, and I would want to tend, even in terms of I think our restaurants, we like to go to restaurants that are independently owned, yeah. quite frankly. Sure. And support the small business owner, if you will.
2: And it, you know, interestingly, I'm thinking about my own purchasing habits and I don't think they're uncommon. There are certain things that I insist on doing, you know, patronizing the independent. Like, I will almost never go to a chain restaurant. Mm -hmm. But something else, you know, my clothes or whatever, I'm not buying, like, hemp skirts (laughs) from, like, the craft fair. I'm going to Macy's or whatever. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting, you know, how we can think of ourselves as being, like, very much in favor of supporting the little guy. And then, you know, I've been called out by people before who look at what I'm wearing, and it's, like, some gap shirt. (laughs) <laughs> or something. So it's interesting, you know, how, like, what our behaviors are as, as yeah. consumers.
0: As consumers, right, exactly. Right.
1: I have a tremendous amount of faith in consumers to make good decisions mm-hmm. um, based on the integrity of a company. So I think that, you know, the old adage, the truth will set you free, it yeah. certainly yeah. does work and apply here. Um, that's why I, when we were last talking about this, I used the term deceit because, mm-hmm. you know, marketing can be a form of deceit that mm-hmm. is wielded against the consumer interest. So and in the hands of uh, those who have the deepest pockets, it can be a powerful tool. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's something that the BA really tries to push for transparency on, and that is something that I agree with. I I personally believe that the name of the owner of the brewery Mm -hmm. should be on the can. Like, Mm -hmm. I know you were avoiding calling out names, but I Mm -hmm. don't have to. Mm -hmm. Blue Moon, for instance, you know, it says Blue Moon Brewing Company. That doesn't exist, you know. Well, that's have you coarse. been to the Blue Moon? Actually, I have. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah, <All right. laughs> <laughs> it's a great little pub. You know, I enjoyed myself. But Keith
0: oh, is um, in the whole other coarse. thing, though, isn't he? Keith is in the whole other thing. He's yeah.
2: making ser- how did he yeah. say it, Seria, Seria? It's yeah. Like, CBD I beer.
1: Yeah, he's making cannabis. <laughs>
0: that's correct. Yeah, liquid.
2: <laughs> he just had a media party at CBC out in Denver. He brought everybody out to the brewery, I think, and I was sad I didn't make it out there um but i know his it probably tastes good i mean he invented blue moon and like mm-hmm. who hasn't had blue
0: moon that's and it's you know that's right that's right yeah he kids knows it, what he's doing kids at wilmington you had no clue when i told him about blue moon still how many, how many you drink sure. blue moon yeah, Oh yeah. Still, that's, the yeah. part, that's the part that's just concerning yeah mm-hmm. there it is all right we are going to say thank you for joining us here on what's on top bill Kovalesky, Two straight weeks you've been with us here. We appreciate that very, very much for making You the are trek worth more than that, for sure. Thank you. Oh, well, we'll see you next week. Oh, no, there isn't going to be a next week. Is there? No, that's a bad joke. And Ollie. Ollie is. <laughs> yep, Sir Oliver Fang. He, he's behaved himself. He well. is behaving himself much better than Terry, you and I are, I that's think, in most usually cases. The case. <laughs> and our buddy Adam is here with us. How you, you still uh, seeing your same girl? Uh, Okay. Everything's still good. All right. he,
2: ma- he embarrasses Adam we, at we embarrass every Adam. show. We embarrass <laughs> Adam every
0: show. Hey, did, did you ask her you know, put the ring on her finger yet?
2: <laughs> and he just blushes and Oh, Gary, right. <laughs> Adam, what, what's her
0: favorite beer? Let's see
1: if she's a keeper.
0: She
1: doesn't drink. <laughs> she okay. doesn't drink. Oh, there you go. Is she
0: 21? Yeah, she does drinks. She's 21, one. but she doesn't drink. Okay. So you're like older women then, huh? Yeah. You <laughs> sliver. I was going to say Sly Fox, but that's, another, that's another show. 99.9 FM, Comcast Channel 22, 1 to 2 p.m. on Saturdays. You can also hear our podcast feed Sundays at 11 a.m. on Indie Philly and, of course, on Hopped Up Network, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spreaker, Overcast, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Thanks for joining us on What's on Tap. Thank you to our guests, Robert Irvine, Chef Robert Irvine, and Bill Kowaleski from Victory. If you don't see Victory where you're shopping, ask for it. That's the only way you're going to get it. Where would you go well that you wouldn't see Victory? A place, <laughs> I, a place that I wouldn't want to frequent. To totally tell you the truth. If they're not carrying Victory, I don't want to go there. They don't have good craft beer. See you next time on What's on Tap.